0: Thursday, April 28th, 2011. Oh, man, making last-second adjustments here. Oh. No pressure, no... <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we do the comparative work. And uh, basically defending and proclaiming the faith once for all delivered to the saints. You don't get to mess it up, you know. I've used the metaphor before that the uh, the faith is like a baton. Uh, if we've all, we've all seen those uh, I'm not talking like a the baton that they, you know they throw in a, in a parade. I'm talking about a baton in one of those relay races. I mean, he, you know, here's the deal. I I'm f- I'm fully aware of the fact that well, I'm not young anymore. I'm not skinny and good-looking and strapping no, things have headed south. My brain doesn't quite function the way it used to. And you you could just—the handwriting's on the wall. I mean, if Christ doesn't come back soon, uh, this body is going to crash. It's going to crash hard, and it's going to land six feet under the ground. that That's just all there is to it. I mean, uh, I've got a payday coming for the wages of my sin, and— <laughs> And this this body it's 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 done for, man. I you know if this was World War Two, you know my my I started off as a fighter as a fighter plane, and I turned into a lumbering bomber. Anyway, if, uh, so uh, but the thing is, this bomber has been taking flak hits and it's sputtering and and you could just tell, you know it's it you know. Too much more of this, and and you know you're gonna have an engine go out. You, you know there's gonna be black smoke billowing. You know it's just gonna it's gonna be a mess. And maybe I can glide it on home, but the reality is is that uh, as, as that day approaches, you just know that I'm gonna put that thing hard into the ground, and it's I'm gonna be six feet under. That's just all there is to it. So here's the deal: I've been given by the grace and gift of God this amazing christian faith it's the apostolic faith that was that was taught by jesus to the apostles that was prophesied in the old testament that that was clearly revealed in the preaching and teaching of jesus and and elucidated i love that word upon by the uh, by the apostles and and it's right there for us and so you know i i you know my job is to take this faith that i've been given and to pass it on to the younger generation, the guys who are the who, who who's, whose bodies are, are are the fighter planes right now, who will graduate into the lumbering uh, bombers later. But uh, but you understand what I'm saying? I, my job is to pass that baton off. I'm not supposed to sit there and take the baton and go, ooh, you know, I, I think this is too long, I, too heavy. Maybe if I if i lighten it up a little bit you know maybe cut off a piece of this here and maybe if i you know let's you know scrape off that and and put something else on you know i don't get to do that you know you got the faith once delivered to the saints it's been delivered to you you pass the baton on it's just that simple and so many people are sitting there looking at the baton, going, Ew, I don't like this." oh, the God that's revealed in this faith is—I don't like him. And 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 see, the thing is, is everyone thinks that's a problem. Like, oh, well, you, you don't—you don't like the God of Christianity. Oh, well, um, we can make him likable, um. Here, let, let me grab an eraser and an exacto knife and go to my Bible here and, you know, start rubbing things out. Yeah, yeah, that, that well, yeah, hell part. Yeah, we, we can compromise there. Yeah, we'll get rid of that. Uh, uh, sinner by nature, you don't like that, doctor? Okay, well, let's, let's get rid of that too. Uh, what what kind of God are you looking for, you know? And, and so, you know, the, yeah, we don't get to do that. And uh, unfortunately, so much of what's going on today is really just that. It's it's an attempt to take out the exacto knife and an eraser and uh, and put a new paint job on the faith once delivered to the saints in 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 the in the goal of kind of obscuring some of the harder less popular um, doctrines and teachings that go along with that faith once delivered to the saints. Yeah, as soon as you as soon as you do that, you ain't passing along the faith. You're passing along an idolatrous religion that has. That has smuggled Christian words and phrases and poured different meanings into them. And uh, when you do that, it ceases to be Christian. It ceases to be the faith once delivered to the saints and turns into, well, something completely different. And so, yeah, you know, my goal pass it on, pass it on. Pa- that's the God, that's the idea. That's what we're doing here. This we talk about fighting for the faith. We're talking about that faith. And if you like a simple synopsis of what that faith is, I would actually point you to uh, to begin with the Nicene Creed, which you will notice is well not about you. It's not about you whatsoever uh it's a uh, it's all about what Jesus did for you and if you want uh, in you know from there you need something a little bit tighter something a little bit more worked out i would point you to uh, the augsburg confession this is uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, we call it in lutheran circles we lovingly refer to it as the augustana and this is this is a wonderful wonderful synopsis of the major doctrines of the christian faith and uh, and then from there the apology of the augsburg confession small called articles um, The Formula of Concord, fantastic, fantastic works that I think correctly, uh, hand, uh, correctly summarize what the Bible teaches, what God has revealed in His Word. It's all about, well, what God has revealed in His Word. We can trust it. We don't need to erase it. We don't need to sit there and go, oh, well, we, in order to make the faith more appealing to people, you know, we really got to get rid of some of this stuff. I mean... Oh you know this idea that without the without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness of sins can we just like skip that verse? i mean we don't even know who wrote the book of hebrews anyway why is it even in there <laughs> yeah um <laughs> the problem that that person has i can't fix and uh, i'm not interested in in and uh, uh, well making that person feel good no 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 it, it, i would say uh buck up um <laughs> you know you need to you, you need to get a bu- you need to get a backbone you need, you need to grow a spine would you and uh, and get on the front lines and fight you know stop sitting there complaining. oh man in fact if you want if you want to defect defect and see here's the deal is that um you know it would be much easier if the if the people who would who stopped believing the, what the christian faith believes teaches and confesses Rather than, you know, leaving them in the church, because, yeah, by the way, this is kind of the argument, isn't it? Um, You'll notice I'm rambling at the moment. It's okay. It's all part of my creeping decrepitude. Uh, yeah, so it's, it, never mind. I, I can I can hide my own Easter egg, so don't worry. I can bumble through my own monologue. It's, it's no big deal. I promise we'll land on our feet somewhere. Anyway, uh, the, here, here's the idea. Church discipline, uh, the whole idea of disfellowshipping somebody, somebody who doesn't uh who who does who refuses to believe teach and confess the historic christian faith they've ceased to be christian um and leaving them in the church um these these guys go to work like mold inside of a inside of a house in the midwest Uh, you leave them there long enough and the whole the whole structure ends up rotting from the inside out yeah the whole, one of the reasons why you exercise church discipline, and you know what's so funny is that when people think of church discipline, so many times we think about, yeah, we got to discipline those people, yeah, the ones who are sleeping with their girlfriends. Now, granted, yes, they they need to be disciplined, and uh, yeah, and and the and the guys who are committing adultery, yeah, those guys got to be disciplined too, and and the drunks, and yeah, we got to discipline the, yeah, I'll, yeah, uh huh, um, at least the unrepentant sinners. But uh, you really you really want to flex some. Uh, Church discipline muscles. Take the take the youth pastor in your youth group who's been reading Rob Bell for the last ten years and knows every Numa video by heart, and now denies the doctrine of hell. Mm-hmm. You want to practice some church discipline? Uh, you you get rid of that guy. You tell him you, you you we're going to turn you over to the devil until you repent of your false doctrine. <laughs> now that's some church discipline. Anyway, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just rambled my way through my entire monologue today. I have no idea what I'm doing.
1: <laughs> anyway, uh
0: let's uh talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Number one, we've uh, the book is out. Uh the book, the uh, uh the sufferings of Jesus Christ for sinners. Ah, uh, uh, I'm so excited about this. Um it, the book is out. You can yeah, and um if if you want to know more about it, go to piratechristianradio.com forward slash suffering. Piratechristianradio.com forward slash suffering. You can purchase it as an EPUB or a Kindle, and you go, well, I don't own a Kindle. Yeah, I listen, you know, that excuse might have worked a few years ago. Don't work no more. And the reason why is because Amazon.com has software, free software that you can download and install on your computer that will allow you to read Kindle books on your laptop or your home personal computer. And uh, by the way, you know, digital publishing it's the whole it's it's not the wave of the future, it's the wave of now. <laughs> it's the wave of now. And you go, "Yeah, but I like books. I like the way they feel and all." Yeah, I, I get it. Um uh, uh, you know, but I the thing I love about digital books um uh, it saves space. Uh, you know, it saves space in my limited shelf space for my library. So a- anyway, it's available. Um, and uh, if you want to get a copy of it, uh, you you either join our crew. If you are a crew member, then you've received the email already. You join our crew, and uh, we'll send you the link to uh, to get the new book. Or you can purchase it for nine ninety five, and uh, it's right there at piratechristianradio.com forward slash suffering. Piratechristianradio.com forward slash suffering. Now, in case you're wondering, um, yeah, just want to let you know we're we're currently uh, ramping up for a drive to uh, to try to enlist three hundred more um, three hundred to three hundred and fifty more members of our crew, and the reason why is uh, well. Um, Our budgeted expenses have gone up and uh, what we need to add about that many folks to our crew in order to continue to pay our bills. So, uh, you know, the book is all part of that drive. Just want to let you know. So, yeah, I'll kind of let you in on more of that as we go. But uh, the reality is if you're not already supporting, you know, fighting for the faith uh, by either, uh, you know, contributions or joining our crew, this, this is a good time to do that. Just want to let you know. This is a good time to do it. And there's perks. We've got perks. The perks are these books that we're publishing, and there's more stuff that's going to be announced later. But uh, so, you know, those of you who are crew members, you know, there's there's uh, some good stuff there for you. Anyway, uh, here's what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. I got a uh, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse update today. Um, he's going to be talking about Comet uh, Elenin. El, Elen, uh, 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 yeah, well... You're just gonna have to hear it for yourself. Um, I've got uh, news from the Telegraph in the UK. Uh, the blood of, of the recently deceased. Well, he's been deceased for a while now. Pope John Paul II is. is, is the <clears throat> uh, officials in Rome have uh, said that it's going to be uh, his blood is going to be used as a holy relic. To which I say, ooh, <laughs> yuck. Okay, and uh, let's see. And then I got a story here uh, about. <laughs> wait, do you hear this? Uh, it's called "Read the Bible for Life." Lack of biblical Ill, uh, but lack of uh, biblical literacy is highlighted. I'm going to be reading a story, and I'm going to read to you. Uh, it's from the Baptist Press um, on some of the statistics regarding biblical literacy or illiteracy. Yeah, this is shocking stuff. And then I got a uh, a, a Christian Post article entitled "Church Touts Homosexuality as a Gift." From God, yeah. And, and you'll notice that I'm going to be reading that article right after I read the article uh, about biblical illiteracy. There's a reason for that. And uh, and then our sermon review today uh, comes to us via City Community Church, Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, uh, Pastor Eric Cooper preaching, and the name of it is Simple uh, Words. That's that's the name of it, Simple Words. So the sermon series is entitled "Simple," and this is an interesting um, this is an interesting uh, sermon to be reviewing. The reason why is because this kind of falls into the category of what I would call a bad gospel sermon. And you'll <laughs> you're gonna go, really? Is there such a thing? Y- yeah, <laughs> you're gonna hear it today if you uh, can can endure it. Uh, you're going to actually hear Eric Cooper, you're going to hear him read passages and, and say things about the gospel that are just flat out true. There's no other way to say it. And yet, the sermon is not a good sermon. Yeah, you know, Because, uh, listen, it takes more than just preaching the gospel to make a sermon a good sermon. You have to properly balance law and gospel. And you have to use God's law lawfully for its for the intent uh, purpose that it was intended for, and then the gospel then makes sense when you preach it. Because if you don't get the the law part right when you preach the gospel, uh, it, it it ends up sounding like um well it turns the gospel into like one of those precious moments figurines. It's just sap you know saccharine cute, but. Um, yeah it doesn't seem very useful anyway you'll you'll get what i'm saying here as we uh, listen to our that uh, sermon today so we got lots of ground to cover make yourself comfortable yeah you know, fuzzy bunny slippers no problem if you want to wear those depending on, well here's the deal make sure it's cool in your neck of the woods those of you in the southern hemisphere who listen to fighting for the faith you know uh, things are getting cooler down there um you know fall is going to be turning into winter and uh, you know fuzzy bunny slippers might help you all down there especially the closer you are to the Antarctic, um, you know, down there. Anyway, um, so, uh, and of course, if you want to enjoy an adult beverage, we do not have a problem with that. Keep in mind the biblical prohibition is drunkenness. So you don't want to take that wonderful gift that God has given us and abuse it in such a way that you end up, you know, making a fool of yourself or worse, uh, you know, getting hooked on it in such a way that you're addicted to it. And and then you have to go to, you know, like, you know, Rick Warren's, uh, you know, Celebrate Recovery program. I mean... Yeah, that that you don't want to do that. Yeah, see, see, that as far as I'm concerned is an absolute positive motivator for never wanting to abuse alcohol to the point where I would become addicted to it. Because just the um the 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 shame I would feel having to sit in a in a Rick Warren inspired celebrate recovery program um it it would be more than I can bear. Anyway, um, so you know that's where we're at. So let's uh, dive into the program proper. All right. From the Telegraph in the UK, headline reads, blood taken from John Paul to be used as relic. <laughs> the, the the word that comes to mind is, well, that sounds perfectly medieval. Yeah. Holy relics. Uh, what was Martin Luther's uh, statement? I mean, you know, that... Uh, there were so many splinters of the cross in 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 Europe, you know, displayed as holy relics that you could build a sturdy bridge with them, you know, to cross the River Rhine. That, that's a Rose Browerian and you know, paraphrase. Uh, obviously, that's tantamount to the uh, the 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 message paraphrase of Luther's works. Anyway, um, oh man, this is disgusting, and they, uh, they, they kind of creeping me out. They got a they've got a photograph of the dead Pope John Paul sitting right there. On this. Anyway, the Vatican um, made the announcement yesterday, ending speculation over what relic would be presented during Sunday's beatification of Pope John Paul II. In a statement, the Vatican said four small vials of blood had been taken from John Paul during his final days for a possible transfusion, but were never used. Two of the vials were given to John Paul's private secretary. Cardinal Stanislaus I can't pronounce his name. Yeah, um, D-Z-I-W-I-S-Z. Yeah. <laughs> Cardinal... Anyway, uh, the another two vials remain at the Vatican's Gesu Hospital in, in, in the care of nuns. Uh, one of the hospital vials will be placed in a reliquary and um, presented on Sunday while the other will remain with the nuns pope john paul died april 2nd 2005 okay that okay that just creeps me out that's something seriously seriously wrong with that (sighs) yeah see and what what really was causing all of this um bad really bad Really, 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 really bad theology, theology where you don't recognize that everybody who has been brought to repentance and faith in Christ and and trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins, everyone, those are the saints. Yeah, this, you know, this beatification thing in order to saint, you know, to make him into a saint is just uh, horrible, horrible theology, just and... And now there's blood to go along with it. Ah, Just grosses me out. Anyway, (laughs) moving along. Hang on to your hats for this one. (laughs) You're going to need it. Here, here, Here we go. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. Boom, 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 boom. All right, yeah. Mm, that could mean only one thing. Um, Time for an update from the third eagle of the apocalypse. If you heard a chainsaw uh, during the uh uh R E M segment that we just played there. Yeah, it's because <laughs> if you watch if you have I don't know if you've looked at his uh his YouTube channel lately, but uh he's been starting them off kind of strange. And I mean we've I've seen him shoveling snow. I've seen him uh tapping a maple tree to you know to to and making maple syrup and putting it on pancakes. I and uh this particular video starts off with him uh 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 well with logs cutting logs and and putting them into a machine that turns them into cordwood that you know this is a guy who could survive for a long time without electricity or gas or anything like that cuz when you look at his basement it's just chock full of cordwood anyway um mm. <sighs> apparently um okay let me explain this before I before I play him, and then we'll I'll I'll play this um, latest installment from the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. The, many times we do things of varying difficulty here at Fighting for the Faith. William Tapley, the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, is one of these guys that this falls under the easy to spot the problem category. However, don't let the simplicity of the easy to spotness of the problem uh, throw you, because. He is the same thing. He is the same thing as Harold Camping. He is the same thing in many ways as Rick Warren. And what I mean by that is this, that he pours his own ideas and thoughts into the Scripture. As a result of it, he completely misses the point of Scripture, and he's off into, well... William Tapley Land. Anyway, but this is the this is what's at the heart of everybody who who doesn't rightly handle the scripture. They're seeing things in the Bible text that aren't there because they're not rightly handling it they're allegorizing it they're looking for the hidden meaning they're waiting for god to speak to them directly all of these kind of stuff all this kind of stuff when god's word is to really be understand as jesus said these the very these are the very prophets that testify about me and the apostle john when he writes his gospel says these things are written that you may believe that jesus is the christ the son of god if you don't have jesus as the center substance and heart of uh, of your understanding of the Scriptures. If you don't see it, you don't see the Bible as about being about Him, you're going to miss the whole point of the Bible, and you're going to end up in, in well, in, in a place like this. Let's um, hear.
2: Have you heard of the Comet Elenin? Well, if you get all your news from the major news sources like NBC, CBS, CNN, Reuters, BBC, etc., no, you have
0: never heard of the comet, Eleanor.: Yeah, you're right. I, I, until I saw this video earlier today, never heard of the comet, um, by but, but, but notice how he kind of makes it sound like this is a conspiracy.
2: There is a tremendous news blackout on this planetary object. A lot of people are wondering, is it really a comet? The only way I heard about it is because of the many videos on YouTube and I want to thank you for bringing this to my attention. No one would know about Elanin if it weren't for the Internet, another reason why eventually the Internet will be shut down. One of the most amazing mysteries surrounding Comet Elanin is that it was predicted 13 years ago by the Hollywood movie Deep Impact.
0: (laughs) 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 Okay, so let let me... um. The movie (laughs) Hollywood Impact was prophetic. It prophesied the Comet Elenin.
2: Okay. Now, I don't want to repeat what other YouTubers have already discovered. On this program, I want to talk about the amazing evil numerology associated with both Comet Elenin and the movie Deep Impact. (laughs) The what? The evil numerology. (sighs) Huh. But first, let's take a look at the orbit of Elenin and how it will cross the orbit of planet Earth later this summer and fall. On the wall chart behind me, you can see the orbit for Earth, and you can see the elliptical orbit of comet Elenin intersecting the orbit of Earth.
0: Yeah, it does. It it comes inside the orbit of Earth and actually comes between us and the Sun for a while. And uh, spends quite a bit of time there. Um, I'm beginning to think we're probably going to see Comet Elenin sometime this year. We continue.
2: Protecting the orbit of Earth. Now let's look at some of the important historical dates for Comet Elenin. Comet Elenin first entered our solar system in November of 1994 when it crossed the orbit of the planet Pluto. Three and a half years later, the Hollywood movie Deep Impact was released, which tells the story of a very similar comet and how it strikes planet Earth. Now, in February of this past year, an amazing occurrence was the Chilean earthquake, and it seems to have been associated with an alignment between Ellen, Earth, and the Sun. And in fact, a few months later, there was another alignment on September 4th and another earthquake. I don't So this is an earthquake
0: causing comet. I didn't know the comets were that big that you know they uh... I don't
2: think these are accidental. I think we you, know,
0: you ever heard of the logical fallacy called post hoc ergo propter hoc? I lovingly refer to it thanks to my wife as post hoc ergo poppycock. Um listen, um uh, Mr. Third Eagle, um the moon you've seen the moon, it's big. it's it 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 it's huge, it's ginormous. Um, it's you know how it uh, uh, circles the earth much bigger, much bigger than comet Ellen and um just from a mass you know ratio kind of thing, um I'm sure comet Ellen doesn't have much you know much on the moon. So I'm, I'm finding it hard to believe that a big, dirty snowball out somewhere near uh, Jupiter or Pluto is uh, going to have that much of a gravitational impact on the Earth so as to be causing earthquakes. But, of course, it's all in the numerology, and, of course, I know nothing about numerology.
2: They're going to see many more earthquakes from Comet Elena. Now, on December 10th of last year, the comet was discovered by the amateur Russian astronomer Leonid Allenin. In the movie Deep Impact, it's interesting that the comet is discovered by Leo Biederman. Leo Allenin, Leo Biederman. Is this another coincidence?
0: In- uh, which part, the Biederman or the.
2: March 11th, there was another tremendous earthquake in Japan.
0: Yes. And I'm certain that Comet Allenin had nothing to do with it.
2: And this preceded another alignment by only four days.
0: Well, it wasn't lined up then. So if it preceded it by four days, how could there be even a connection? Again, post hoc ergo poppycock.
2: Could it be that because the comet is much closer to Earth and the sun, that its effects are occurring before the actual alignment? No. (laughs) I think we will soon find out. And in July the comet will cross the orbit of planet Earth. Now, two more significant events in the life of Comet Elenin will occur on September 11th. And, of course, as you recognize, 9-11 is going to be the 10th anniversary of the terror attacks in New York City. And the two events are that the comet... Can you believe it's been 10 years? ...will be closest to the sun at that time. That will be its perihelion it will also pass through the ecliptic at that time. In other words, up until then it has been below the plane of the Earth, but on September 11th it will go above the plane of the Earth. And I have indicated that on this diagram with a darker line indicating below the ecliptic, and a lighter line indicating above the ecliptic. Now I've taken this chart mainly from the JPL website, and on their diagram they do the same thing. When the comet is below the ecliptic, That is indicated by a dark blue line and when it is above the ecliptic by a lighter colored line. Now several weeks following the September 11th perihelion and the breaking of the ecliptic, there is another alignment on September 27th. Now since this alignment does not line up perfectly with breaking the ecliptic, there may not be an eclipse of the sun on that date as some are suggesting. On the other hand, if the comet's tail is wide enough, There could be an eclipse. And please note that four days before the 27th, on September 23rd, there could well be an earthquake if it follows the same pattern as the Japanese earthquake.
0: (laughs) Ah, Okay, I want to point something out here. Okay. Um, William Tapley is distracted. And that's the only way I can put it. He's distracted. He's spending all of this time making charts and making videos and, and trying to find out, to divine, you know, to crack the code of all of these different dates and numerologies and times and, and stuff like that. And <sighs> I think he doesn't convince pretty much more than anybody but himself <clears throat> he would be better served, much better served, preaching the gospel, pointing people to Christ, pointing people to where they can get their sins forgiven. I, I listen, you know. Do I think there's going to be an earthquake on September twenty third, twenty eleven, because it's four days before the perihelium? Uh, that uh, that you know the the helium well the, the where you suck in the helium and then you make the the duck noise you know I don't know what any of these words and and you know above the uh, equilibrium and all the, the, no I mean this is ridiculous this is absolutely ridiculous I mean ah uh, uh, pray for him we continue
2: twenty three as we all know is another way to express six six six. Because two is the number for man, three is the number for God, and when you put two in front of three, that symbolizes the fraction two-thirds, and two-thirds equals six-six-six. On October (laughs) 16th, Comet common element will be closest to Earth. Now, don't go by the scale on this chart, because although they seem to be close together in this picture... That distance is actually more than twenty million miles. Now, a few weeks later, on November ninth, Earth will pass through the debris tail of the comet. Uh, comets have two different tails. One is the gas. Now that's got to be cool, okay?
0: You know, <clears throat> when the Earth passes through the debris tail of Comet El um. The, you, man, you talk about shooting stars. I mean, that's going to be a spectacular sight. Yeah, uh, something to look
2: forward to. The tail, which always points away from the sun, but there's also a debris tail that follows after the comet. We will pass through that on the first week of November, very possibly 11 9. Notice the reversal there of 9 11.
0: Yeah, I missed that.
2: I believe that will be another significant date.
0: I'm sure you do.
2: And on November 23rd, notice again another evil number, 1123.
0: (laughs) Got to look out for those evil number 23s.
2: There will be yet another alignment between Comet Alanan, the Sun, and the Earth. Now let's take a look at some clips from the prophetic movie, Deep Impact.
0: (laughs) The prophetic movie, Deep Impact. I haven't seen that since the 1990s. I I had no idea it was a prophetic movie. No
2: idea. We are going to find that there are some amazing numerical coincidences in this film also.
0: Really? I bet we're going to see the number 23.
2: Now, in this next scene, the Leo Biederman family is going into the safe underground bunkers. And the tunnel they go into is numbered 23.
0: Right. I totally missed that when I saw the movie back in the 1990s.
2: 23 is another number for the Antichrist.
0: Yes, you explained that.
2: Also, please notice the emblem above these tunnels, because it is in the shape of a hexagram. Now, in this next clip... Yeah, that was all there was. Listen very carefully, and you will hear the female astronaut start her countdown at the number 23.
0: Okay, so from another scene in the, in the movie Deep Impact, the female astronaut, I wonder if there's a symbol there, um, starts her countdown from the number 23.
2: First she says 25. Wait a second, if she starts at 25, how can you say she starts at 23? But then the captain interrupts and arms the nukes. Her countdown actually begins with the number 23. Listen very carefully. All right, I'm listening. 25 seconds. Here to the looks. 23. 22. 21. Now, one number 23 in this movie would be a coincidence. Two number 23s, that becomes pretty obviously a plan.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: But there are other 23s. Now, in this chart... Which lists Leo Biederman as the discoverer of the comet, you will notice that top center in a list of numbers is the number 23.
0: No, wow. Right there, top center, 13 hours, 23 minutes, 52.35 seconds. It's a sign. Who has the time? to watch a movie to look for number sequences.
2: Now, finding the number 23 is fairly obvious if you know what you are looking for. But actually, the producers of this movie tried to keep it a secret. And the same...
0: (laughs) they Do you have proof that they were trying to keep this a secret?
2: ...and with the number 911. In this next scene, take a look at the clock... In the upper left-hand corner. All right. I think you will see that it reads 9:11. No. And after this, clip, I mean, what are the chances of that? Clip. I will zoom in on the clock, and it becomes much more obvious.
0: Okay. Um, don't see the clock. Oh, there it is. Gasp. It's it looks like the hands are at nine and eleven.
2: <sighs> An even better known number for the Antichrist is six six six, as found in the Book of Revelation. Please notice the highway distance marker in this next clip.
0: Oh yeah, it says Virginia Beach, six miles. Uh-huh. It says six. The okay.
2: number six is repeated for a second time. In this next clip, but you have to look very carefully at the lower right-hand corner.
0: Same sign, Virginia Beach, six miles.
2: We find the third six in this 666 sequence when the highway sign is shown for the third time as the comet passes overhead.
0: Yeah, you can see the sign with the number six. So that was the third time that that sign appeared in the movie, and because the number six appears three times in this movie, that's a sign of maybe you need some more wood in your basement, William.
2: Now there are many more amazing correlations between the movie Deep Impact and Comet Eleanor.
0: Okay, yeah, I've 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 had my fill. <laughs> <laughs> Can't handle anymore. Thanks for sharing, uh, Mr. Tapley. <sighs> yeah, man. <sighs> pray for him. That's that's you know just that's all I can say. Just pray for him. And by the way, this, I mean, this is one of those things where you know what what we're dealing with in this in his particular case, it's like self deception. I, I don't know how else to put it but what you see him doing is exactly what other people do some are a little bit more sophisticated in you know in in how they cover that up but it's pretty much the same thing reading into the bible your own ideas your own thoughts your own speculations and and come and and as a result of it you're missing the whole point of the whole book um i you know i just don't oh, man I don't think that God intended for us to sit down and scour the movies, uh, you know, deep impact or any other ones, looking to see if we if they use the number 23 or sequences of 6 three times or anything like that as if it's somehow prophetic. It just kind of misses the whole point. Jesus says to watch. He doesn't say to, you know, to calculate. You know, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying on that one? When's Jesus coming back? Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I don't know. I can just tell you this: if it ain't soon, if it ain't within the next forty, fifty years, I'm worm food. That's all there is to it. I mean, same, you know, same with a lot of you. You know that. Hey, you know, if the end of the world comes to all of us either all at once when Jesus returns, or on the day when you die. And so, I would rather spend my time properly handling God's word and reading it in such a way. So that I see Christ, not codes and numbers and numerology and all these things that I'm supposed to crack the code to so that I can say, aha, ha, ha, I can tell you what's coming. Yeah, Jesus kind of laid out ahead of time what's coming and all the things that we're experiencing. If you go back and read the Olivet Discourse, you have to go, yeah, it's all there. And yet Jesus said, all of these things have got to happen, but the the end is not yet. Yeah, that's. All of this stuff is the normal stuff. Anyway, we're up on our uh, first break. If you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address talk talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
3: Shmelovans, we preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
2: You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now.
5: If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. That's what St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Christianity is unique in that it is based upon historical fact. None of the other religions are that in which if you could disprove one historical fact, the whole religion would crumble. But that's how it is with Christianity. If you can disprove that Christ did not raise from the dead, then there is no such thing as Christianity. That's a topic of a debate for a live Table Talk Radio presentation, Did Jesus Rise from the Dead? The debaters is Dr. David Scare of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and author of the book, What Do You Think About Jesus? versus Dr. Robert Price, fellow for the Jesus Seminar, and author of the book, The Case Against the Case for Christ. This all takes place on Pirate Christian Radio, Sunday night, May 15th, from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, and you can call in live to pose your questions to the debaters. Listen to Table Talk Radio Live, a debate, Did Jesus Rise from the Dead, on Pirate Christian Radio, May 15th, from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time.
0: I'm excited to announce the arrival of our latest book. It's entitled The Sufferings of Jesus Christ for Sinners, a series of sermons delivered by Martin Luther, edited by, well, me, Chris Rosebro. This collection of sermons defines what it means to be Christ-centered and cross-focused. They masterfully deliver both law and gospel so that your sins are brought to light and Christ's sufferings and blood are placarded in order to bring you to repentance and the comforting assurance of God's love, mercy, and forgiveness. Luther's Style in these sermons is bold in your face, uncompromising and pastoral. These sermons are expository in their delivery and read like a lay level Bible commentary and are perfect for both devotional as well as theological reading. You can get your copy of the sufferings of Jesus Christ for sinners. A couple of ways. One, visit fightingforthefaith.com, click on the Join Our Crew button, and join our crew anytime between now and the end of May of 2011, and you'll receive an email giving you instructions on how you can download your copy of this wonderful little book. Of course, if you'd like to... Pay for it without joining our crew. You can do so by visiting piratechristianradio.com forward slash suffering. That's piratechristianradio.com forward slash suffering. You'll see a couple of links whereby you can purchase it, download it, and begin reading it immediately. This is not a book that you're going to want to miss, and this is not the kind of book that sits idly on your, in your library. This is one that you're going to definitely want to read over and again. It's that good. So what are you waiting for? Get your copy today. We're back. Warning, paying too close attention to the numbers in the Bible so that you miss the Savior in the Bible. And it means you're kind of missing the whole point of the Bible. Need to remind you all, fighting for the faith is... Listener-supported radio. That's right. We depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring fighting for the faith to you as well as to the world. Let's just put it this way. Our, our, our financial expenses, well, they, they have gone up. And, uh, and that's, this is actually a good thing. It's a good problem to have um and the reason for it is well because our audience has grown and uh and our bandwidth and our royalty fees and certain of some some of our fees are actually kind of staggered based upon the number of downloads or the number of uh you know audience people that we have listening so these are good problems to have the issue is is that um our uh, our giving hasn't kept pace with our growth and so uh we truly do need your help our goal and you know really over the next 30 to 45 days is to convince 350 of you to join our crew. If you don't already support us financially, if you're not a member of our crew, remedy this issue. Go to go visit fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see two friendly little buttons. One says donate, the it says join our crew. Click on the join our crew button and sign up. Of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, moving along here. Uh, I will look at my time here. (sighs) Yeah. uh, This is uh, from the uh, Christian Telegraph, uh, an article by the Baptist Press. The headline reads, Read the Bible for Life, Lack of Bible Literacy Spotlighted. Standing before nearly 700 attendees at Read the Bible for Life at the Read the Bible for Life conference George Guthrie rattled off a series of statistics you ready here we go by the way, here uh, the, uh, these are probably true. I wouldn't be surprised if they are completely true, but I, yeah, I got to be careful with statistics sometimes. H- how did Mark Twain say there's lies and then there's you know, damn lies and then there's statistics. So you got to be careful with statistics, but I think that these are probably indicative of, of some of the problem, you know, of the problems that we're facing in the church. But here we go. It, it, 25 million copies of the Bible are sold in the United States annually. 25 million copies of the Bible. Now, I mean, wow, okay, that is a lot of Bibles, all right? Nine out of ten homes in the United States have a Bible. Nine out of ten, 90% of the homes in the United States have a Bible. More than 400 million copies of all or part of the Bible are distributed through Bible societies each year. Now, I'm, I'm assuming that's going to be a global number. I, I I don't think there's 400 million Bibles distributed in the United States. I don't think we have 400—we we probably only have 400 million people total, so that's kind of a global thing. But uh, <clears throat> here we go. Now, despite what would appear to be a Scripture saturation of biblical proportions, uh, the number one predictor of spiritual maturity, according to a study by LifeWay Research, is actually reading the Bible on a daily basis. But only 16% of churchgoers read the Bible daily, and 25% of churchgoers don't read the Bible at all, Guthrie said at the April 15th or 16th conference at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. Quote, this means that more than 50% of the people who come through the doors of our churches on a regular basis only read their Bibles occasionally. Perhaps one or two times per month, if at all okay now can i can I point something out here, okay, let's just assume that these stats are accurate let's just you know that uh that they're you know that what we're seeing here is is probably right on and 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 here's the deal chances are these these reflect close you know pretty closely what reality is okay. So you only have, out of any, out of people who go to church, who identify themselves as I'm a regular churchgoer, 16%, let me say that again, 16% of them read their Bible daily. 50% of them occasionally, and by that they mean one or two times a month, 25% of them just don't even read it at all. Oh man. Now let's exacerbate this problem. Let's pretend that those people who are only occasionally reading their Bible are going to you know like Perry Noble's church or Rick Warren's. And uh, you know and they you know that church they're getting out of context verses strung together into a, a self-help uh, seminar you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps i mean with each passing day that they go to church they're becoming even more biblically illiterate they're not, going to church is actually making them biblically dumber rather than uh, you understand what i'm saying here this is this is not good this is es no bueno you know that's uh, no no uh, uh, yeah. anyway um even more sobering 37% of those who attend church regularly say they that reading the uh, reading and studying the bible has made significant difference in the way they live their lives, only 37%. The alarming lack of biblical literacy is what led Guthrie to write, Read the Bible for life, your guide to understanding and living God's Word. sounds like Guthrie and I are going to have some uh, theological differences. But um, it does sound like that we're bemoaning uh, uh, pretty much the same problem. Um, I cannot emphasize enough. Dads? Are you listening? Guys, are you listening? Dudes, I'm talking to you. Are you reading your Bible not just by yourself every day, but are you reading your Bible every day and teaching your family, teaching your wife and your children? Yeah, you, you want to become biblically literate? You you teach the Bible every day to, um, to uh, rugrats and munchkins? Uh, you know, little kiddos. Um, you you'll become actually pretty good at the Bible quickly. It's a survival thing. It's like being thrown into the uh, the the deep end of the pool. You know, not only do you have to un, you have to read the Bible and and ex, then you have to explain it to you know to somebody who's in kindergarten. Yeah, that's actually a good exercise to go through, but. uh yeah, um, daily, daily Bible reading, daily Bible reading. Remember our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, uh, seeking whom he can devour. Uh, as a result of that, um, listen, the, the the devil don't sleep, and, uh, and he tempts us not just in carnal, sinful behaviors. Truly, he does tempt us along those lines. There's no doubt about that. But the devil's bigger temptation is, Always comes when he says, "Did God really say?" And you you're going to find yourself going, you know, scratching your head on the day when the devil visits you. And by the way, when the devil shows up to tempt you, when the devil shows up to have your your faith tested, he's not going to be wearing a red suit. He's not going to have horns and a pitchfork. That's not what's going to happen. He's going to come to you, and he's going to speak to you through your best friend. He's going to come to you, and he's going to put words in the mouth of your spouse or your mom or your dad. And it always boils down to the same thing. Did God really say? Satan's goal is to get you off of what God's word says so that he can destroy you. It's plain and simple, so that he can lead you into all kinds of un, of of false belief and sinful vice. And if you are not daily in your scriptures, I mean, it, it it doesn't make any sense. It it doesn't make any sense saying that you're a Christian who doesn't read your Bible every day, who does who isn't in God's word. You know, and feeding on it and learning it and, 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 you know, trying to master it so that you understand what the scriptures teach. Um, it, it's like saying that, I, you know, I'm an airline pilot, but, um, you know, I only went, you know, I, I only spent a couple of days at flight school. Yeah, good luck. That's, you, know, you understand what I'm saying? Anyway, bemoaning the, the fact. And then, you know, and then here's an example of it. Okay, you want to know where not not knowing what your Bible teaches leads you to? It leads you to stuff like this. This is a headline from the Christian Post, an article written by Aaron's son entitled "Church Touts Homosexuality as a Gift, Not a Sin." Being gay is a gift from God. Asserts one church in Ohio. That's the message that Central United Methodist Church is spreading throughout their community via digital billboard launched on Monday. Uh, the simple statement the church announced is intended to to be a gift to those who've experienced hurt and discrimination because of their real or perceived sexual orientation the church seeks nothing less than the healing of the world and Central United uh, Methodist Church wants to offer words and acts of healing to those hurt and marginalized the website states Jeff uh, uh, Buchanan the director of Exodus Church Equipping and Student Ministries agrees that the church must display love and compassion for those in the LGBT community but he opposes the message that the church ascending through their being gay as a gift from God. Why would God bestow this gift only to condemn it throughout the Bible? This would seemingly contradict his character as a God who is loving and just. Now, so here we got this, this perfect interplay here. You got one guy, you got the church out there basically saying, oh, being gay is a gift from God. And yet there's not a single passage in the scripture that says anything remotely even close to it. In fact, every single time uh, homosexual sin is it's, it's homosexual behavior is mentioned in the scriptures, it is described as a sin, an abomination before God, and uh, and clearly the Bible says that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's something that brings you under the judgment of God. So here you got people in the name of God saying all kinds of crazy things and how much you want to bet there's a, there's a rampant amount of biblical illiteracy running around in that United Methodist Church so that when Satan comes along and he says did god really say homosexuality is a sin they go oh well um doesn't the bible say that god is love well yeah well
1: come on
0: and they go okay and then this leads them off into horrible horrible Horrible, false teaching, and yet this guy from Exodus uh, Church Equipping and Student Ministries agrees that um, you should have compassion on people in the LGBT community, but just simply points out the fact if this was really, really a gift from God, then why does the Bible so, (laughs) so clearly, so clearly condemn it? And that's exactly it. I mean, there is no arg. I'm sorry, but the liberals don't have an argument here. They they have to attack, impugn, deconstruct uh, what God's word says, and in order to make you know, to turn being gay into a gift, it's not a gift. It's a sin. And the good news is this: this is a sin that Christ has died for, that Jesus shed his blood on the cross for, and the Bible teaches that homosexuality is a form of slavery because all sin truly is slavery. And so Christ has died on the cross and is calling people to repent of their sins and be forgiven, including the sin of homosexuality, adultery, uh, stealing, lying, gossiping, all of that, and calling people to repent and be forgiven. True freedom is not found in indulging sin, according to the scriptures, but freedom is found in being set free from being a slave to sin. And that's what the Bible teaches. But if you don't know your Bible, then you're going to end up, well, you could end up doing something as biblically obtuse, wrong, and false as Central United Methodist Church there in Ohio. All right, we're up on our second break. When we come back, it'll be sermon review time. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
2: We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need
3: to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
1: This is the air I breathe. This
4: is the air I breathe. I've had enough Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio.
0: I'm excited to announce the arrival of our latest book... It's entitled The Sufferings of Jesus Christ for Sinners, a series of sermons delivered by Martin Luther, edited by, well, me, Chris Rosebro. This collection of sermons defines what it means to be Christ centered and cross-focused. They masterfully deliver both law and gospel so that your sins are brought to light and Christ's sufferings and blood are placarded in order to bring you to repentance and the comforting assurance of God's love, mercy, and forgiveness. Luther's style in these sermons is bold, in your face, uncompromising, and and pastoral. These sermons are expository in their delivery and read like a lay-level Bible commentary and are perfect for both devotional as well as theological reading. You can get your copy of The Sufferings of Jesus Christ for Sinners a couple of ways. One, visit fightingforthefaith.com, click on the Join Our Crew button, and join our crew anytime between now and the end of May of 2011, and you'll receive an email giving you instructions on how you can download your copy of this wonderful little book. Of course, if you'd like to pay for it without joining our crew, you can do so by visiting piratechristianradio.com forward slash suffering. That's piratechristianradio.com forward slash suffering. You'll see a couple of links whereby you can purchase it, download it, and begin reading it immediately. This is not a book that you're going to want to miss, and this is not the kind of book that sits idly on your, in your library. This is one that you're going to definitely want to read over and again. It's that good. So what are you waiting for? Get your copy today. The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap we have a promo code that will save you an additional ten dollars off of cheapo airs already low prices so visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap write down the promo code click on the web banner and book your spring or summer travel today and remember a portion of your purchase at cheapo air will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That web address again is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith, sermon review time. I got to tell you, it's a rare day when I say that we've got a um, a bad gospel sermon. It's possible to do that, by the way. You're about to hear it done. Let's cue up the music. The good, the bad, and, uh, well, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via City Community Church, Indianapolis, Indiana. Pastor Eric Cooper presiding. This is from their sermon series entitled Simple. The name of the specific sermon is entitled Words. Now, Right off the bat, I'm going to give credit to Eric Cooper for preaching and teaching some good gospel texts. You're going to hear biblical texts cited where the gospel is clearly taught. And you're going, well, that's a a good thing. Yes, but because he doesn't properly bring the law to bear... In the sermon, I have no idea, after listening to this sermon, how on earth I'm supposed to apply the gospel. You know, what does it apply to? Yeah, you know, You'll see what I'm saying as we uh, listen to the sermon. Let me, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to kill the music here. That's right, I've just murdered the good, the bad, the ugly. Anyway, uh, so without any further ado, here is uh, Eric Cooper and uh, his sermon entitled Words. Here we go.
3: It is Palm Sunday. As uh, as Brian mentioned when he when he opened today, and you know for me that always meant um, when when I when I was growing up going to church uh, we always got palm branches when we came in, but since you know we're kind of in this new digital age I I, I just found one on my iPhone I thought maybe maybe there was an app for it but there's not so um, but you know we'll we'll wave our digital palm branches here today uh, but Palm Sunday uh, it it
0: actually um, what? You're going to wave a digital palm branch on Palm Sunday? I'm sure
3: that's far more eco-friendly. It's actually acknowledging the beginning. It's actually uh, of the Passion Week, the week uh leading up to Easter. So for some of you, this is uh this is a uh, the, the beginning of uh of the end of Lent. Maybe you see the kind of the end of end of the road, you know, you're ready to eat sugar again. Uh, something along those lines. But what happened, what we commemorate on this day is is Jesus' triumphal entry, what they call the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He rode on a donkey because kings who came on donkeys were coming in peace. I found that out this week. If he had come on a horse, it would have meant he was coming to create conflict. But Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey to bring hope, peace, and encouragement to the entire world. And
0: little did the people... (laughs) So that's the reason why he... uh... Rode in on a donkey donkey, to bring hope, peace, and encouragement to the whole world. Wow, Jesus, the big spiritual encourager. <sighs> you know what? Uh, those people who were in the uh, temple courts, uh, you know, the money changers, they didn't feel very encouraged when Jesus rode in and made a court of whips and drove them out. Um, Just, you know, saying, you know.
3: People know because it says they waved palm branches and they threw their coats down in front of him and they yelled, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And little did they know that just a few short days later, they would be calling him a heretic and they would be nailing him to a cross. And then next Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, Easter Sunday. And I just want to encourage you. I know everybody's got... Uh, their, their traditions and plans on Easter, and I know a lot of times what happens in a, in a church like ours is uh, a lot of you guys go home to be with mom and dad, or you go different places, but I just want to encourage you, if you're going to be here next week, don't come by yourself. Uh, again, attending Sunday morning church doesn't make you a, a, a Christian, but people are so open to the gospel at this time of year. We call them the C&E Christians, Christ, uh, Christmas and Easter. You know, you can, get them, you can get them to come to church. And I know my buddy Nathan well enough to know that next week he's going to share something that is going to challenge them right where they're at. So I just want to encourage you, you know, it's a, it's a great week to bring your cousin, your brother, your friend, the crazy guy that lives upstairs, you know, whatever. I mean, we'll, we'll take them all, all right? So I just want to, to really encourage you. But that, that's, uh, today is Palm, palm Sunday. Um, and so just kind of keep that in mind. Download your digital palm branches and wave them with me, okay, today. Uh, we've been in this uh this series called Simple for gosh the last two and a half months I think and we're going to be wrapping that up next week uh, with Easter sunday um, but uh the, the purpose of the simple series was to kind of take things in a little bit um, take things that we typically like to make complex about God and to try to to, to simplify them a little because I think sometimes we we make our connection, our relationship with God a little more complex than it is. But today I want to kind of take the simple series in in a little bit of a different direction. I'll explain more, but we've got a little video to open things up. So Sean, if you want to hit that, we'll go with it.
0: Don't you just love sermons that don't begin in God's Word, but with a video? I, wish I could tell you what's on the video.
4: Did you know the longest word in the English dictionary is numino ultramicroscopic silico-volcano-coniosis?
0: No idea. I did not know that.
4: Consisting of 45 letters. It's a lung disease, in case you were wondering.
0: I, I really wasn't.
4: The average person speaks 16,000 words per day.
0: I bet I speak more than that. But then again, I do radio.
4: The longest printed sentence in an English language novel is 13,955 words, written by Jonathan Coe. The shortest story ever written is six words long, authored by Ernest Hemingway, with a total of 25 letters, which happens to be 11 letters less than it takes to write out 13,955.
0: I mean, that's some, that is some great trivial pursuit knowledge. Yeah, I can't wait to use that.
4: During the Civil War, Edward Everett delivered a speech at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania that consisted of over 13,500 words and lasted for two hours. Abraham Lincoln followed it up with 268 words in two minutes. It gave newfound hope to a bloodied nation and is considered one of the greatest speeches in American history. On August 28, 1963, a Baptist minister from Atlanta, Georgia, spoke 1,578 words that changed the course of a nation. 28 years before that, an idealistic European prime minister's words were instrumental in changing the course of the world.
0: I thought the name of this sermon series was simple. I just feel like this is just getting complicated.
4: Words can define a vision. No matter how sinister the vision might be. Some words are by mothers. Others by monsters. But do our words matter? Words that build up or words that demoralize? Uh,
0: How about the words revealed in the Bible from God?
4: Words that challenge or words that excuse words that unite or words that tear apart Do they matter? Is anyone listening?
0: Yeah, have you read that part of the uh, Bible? You know, I think it was Second Timothy four. And, you know, to pastors, you know, I, I urge you in light of Christ's return. You know, preach the word in season out of season. You know, the word for a time is coming when people will not put up with or endure sound doctrine, but will gather for themselves teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. So you want to talk about words. I mean, the pastors are given the words. That that see that's the thing. Um if your pastor is working hard to come up with creative words, he he, he ain't doing this job right. I mean, the job of a pastor is not to work hard to come up with for with creative words of their own making. Their job is to faithfully proclaim the words given in God's word. Yeah, the, yeah.
4: Or are they just words?
3: Simple words. Now, words are powerful things. They can incite a war, they can bring peace, they can express love, or they can express hate. They're also an incredibly cool iPhone game. Yeah. What? Yeah. This week, when I decided I was going to uh, speak on this message, I had heard about this game, Words with Friends, which I, I, I didn't know this at the time, but in, in essence, is just glorified digital
0: Scrabble. All right. So let's see if I let's see if I have this right you use the occasion of your words sermon cuz that's what it was called words you use the occasion of that sermon as an excuse for downloading the words with friends game application for your iphone um can we just skip that whole part and just get to the bible please sir And so I thought, well, if I'm going to speak on words
3: this weekend, maybe I ought to download that game, see if it has anything to offer me.
0: Maybe you should have downloaded like a Bible app for your iPhone. And uh,
3: what it offered me was a complete overtaking of my time and my ability to tell it no. I've got like six games going right now with different people. And, uh, and I'm having a lot of fun with this. And, and the funny thing, the ironic thing about this is, you know, last week Nathan spoke on how our, our iPhones have taken over our lives. You remember that? You remember that message? And how they, they get in the way of us being able to actually hear God
0: when he's speaking to us. And all I had to say to that is, If you're having a hard time hearing God's word because of your iPhone, put it on vibrate or turn the ringer off and open up your Bible and start reading.
3: If God doesn't have a Words with Friends account, I probably haven't heard anything he said in the last three days. (laughs) Words are fun. Words are fun. Words with Friends is fun. Um, I'm not going to give you my username right here, though, because I don't want to get a bunch of invites on my phone while while I'm standing up here in the front. But words, words, it really hit me this week how powerful words are. And the way that happened was uh, Tuesday night, I was helping my nine-year-old daughter with her math test. She was studying for a a math exam. And, um, you know, all all families kind of have a... uh, I want to be delicate how I say this. All all families have different kids that are gifted at different things. And uh, my daughter, Anna, just has always... She's always been mathematically challenged, okay? Okay. And uh, she's, she's incredible with her, her verbal skills. I mean, she, she's incredible musically. She loves uh, to, to write songs, all, all of these things. But when it comes to math, it just, for some reason, wherever that, that part of her brain is, is enacted, it just, she, she struggles with it. And so we were going
0: over, Tuesday night, we were going over. Kind of like how I'm struggling, my brain is struggling to understand what on earth you're talking about at this point. Does the sermon have a point? Or how to add fractions, how to break things down into fractions, and then how to
3: add them up together. And I would go over it with her, and she would kind of get it for a minute, and then we'd move on to something else, and we'd come back, and she'd forget everything that we had just talked about. You know, and as a father, I was kind of—I was trying to hide my frustration. You know, ah, you know, Anna, we've done this, we've done this already. You know, and um, so we, we we finally finished up, and I was getting ready to send her upstairs to uh, to get ready for bed. And as she was walking away, it just hit me. I'd like to say it was this moment of, of epiphany, but it did just, it was probably, I don't know, just indigestion or something. But I, I, I called to her as she was walking to the steps. And I said, Anna, wait, 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 Anna. And she turned around and I looked her square in the eyes and I said, you are good at math. Five words.
0: Okay. Um, y'all familiar with Stuart Smalley? I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn, people like me. Why do I feel like we're heading towards um, that? That somehow his big point about words is going to come back to pretty much just affirmation. Uh, why? Why? Yeah, I'm good enough and I'm smart enough and gosh darn, people like me. I
3: said, I'm tired of you thinking that you're not good because maybe you struggle with it a little bit or maybe it's a little harder for you. Somewhere you've gotten into your head that you're not good at math and you are good at math. I
0: sent her upstairs to get her bath. Uh, you just want to point something out here. Um, yeah, math is not my strong suit. Uh, math is one of those things, uh, even my kids will tell you, I'm perfectly useless. If they come home with an algebra problem, yeah, um, I, I, it might—see, here's the deal. I'm great with Greek, great with Hebrew, great with theology, great with history, great with stuff like that. You get me into the quadratic equation, and I'm as lost as you are when I post a Greek sentence on my blog. You look at it and go, yeah, what? It's all Greek to me. You see, the, the uh, that that's—and just if, if uh, Eric Cooper were to say, oh, Chris, you're good at math, I'd look him back in the face and go— what are you smoking? I'm not. And no affirmation that you give me, no words that you speak, are going to turn me into a mathematician.
3: And she ended up getting a very good grade on her math test. And it hit me in that moment the power of five simple words because those five simple words lit something up in the eyes of my daughter that told her, yeah. I am.
0: I am. I can do this. And I'd like, uh, the power of words? I as if I mean correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that just magic? I mean, isn't the basic premise behind magic, okay, for 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 real like spell kind of magic is that you learn certain powerful words and combinations of words spoken in such a way that when you speak them, the magic occurs. You know, the old abracadabra, hocus-pocus kind of thing. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, it's apparently just the power of an, of an affirmation. <sighs>
3: I'd like to say that all of the words I speak over my children... And- I see my 12-year-old in here, so i got I to be careful about what I say. I'd like to say that all of the, the words that I speak over my children are always full of life and hope. But the truth is, I've probably got more stories on the flip side. Uh, in fact, one was uh, uh, one that I'm, I'm certain that each one of my kids could recall as if it happened yesterday. You know, um, have, you ever, have you ever driven with three kids in the back of a van before? Yes. It's, uh, it's crazy, all right? It's, it's absolutely yeah. zany. And, and about a year ago... We're, we're driving, I don't even remember where we're driving, but we're driving down the road. I got, I got three kids in the back of the van who are deciding that they want to use their words to have World War III in, in the back of our car, all right? Which typically happens. You put children under 12 together in a small, confined space, and, and uh, all kinds of interesting things begin to occur.
0: Yeah, let me ask you this question Do you think that Eric Cooper believes that humans are sinful by nature? Sure doesn't sound like it, does it? <laughs>
3: And uh, the back of my van that day was, was no different, and I remember, you know, just the, the volume and the, the tension, and they're yelling, Dad, so-and-so said this to me, Dad, tell her to stop, you know? And I remember just cracking in the moment. If you ever want to know if pastors are real people? I promise you, all right? Just ask my children. They know better than anyone else. And I remember... By real person, do you mean sinner? Sinner? remember yelling, I remember slamming on the brakes to stop the car, and yelling at them at the top of my lungs, shut up, you selfish jerks. I called my three children <laughs>
0: selfish jerks. You, you should, we should call Child Protective Services, I'm sure. Me, I did it. And if you go
3: and ask any one of them after, after service today, they will all recall that moment like it just happened. You remember that, don't you, Emma? Yeah, you remember that. Yeah. Every once in a while Anna will remind me, dad, we're just being selfish jerks. <laughs> so well, maybe maybe at least she got the message. But a simple string of words can affect us so deeply. It can it can wrap itself around our lives like the tentacles of an octopus. And it can, it can, it can become the essence of, of who we are. You know the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me.
0: Yep, doesn't appear in the Bible. Big lie. Big lie. I, uh, I remember working... So apparently, names
3: will hurt you. Working with another minister sitting in his office as he
0: recalled to me how his... F- uh, by the way, the Bible does teach that words, quote, hurt us. This is why we're admonished to not bear false witness against our neighbor. This is why gossip is listed in the same list of sins as murder. <sighs>
3: so, uh- Father used to refer to him as a little piece of excrement. Now. Keep the message G-rated here today. Thank you. His father used to refer to him as a little piece of crap. That's how his dad referred to him. And this man, well into his late 40s, could recall that with the stinging pain as if it was just happening to him. You know, Nathan and I... Okay, now we're all victims of words. I tell you about this group of pastors that we meet with. There's about 60 different pastors that are connected with this organization out of Broad Ripple. And it's just breathed so much life into both of us. And every week as we sit with different groups of these guys, and you hear as we all begin to share some of our stories, you know, of the words that were spoken over us, sometimes as children, words that, that breathe life and hope and confidence and courage, you are good at math. And words that are still ripping the hearts out of some of these men. 20, 30 years later, shut up, you selfish jerks.
0: Apparently, that's a confession of sins now. Not called that, though. I see Tara Tara Gentry over
3: here, who works with Teen Challenge.
0: Yeah, we've heard two of her sermons. I hope we never hear one again. Tara is
3: challenged. (laughs) She has to hang out with people like us on a regular basis. But, you know, I, I know from talking to Tara that she would tell you many, many of these girls that she works with in this home for girls in crisis would would be able to recount for you the the incredibly hurtful, damaging words that were spoken over them. And they began to wrap themselves around their lives and they began to almost become self-fulfilling prophecies over the lives of these kids as they grew.
0: Maybe as I'm telling these stories today, maybe some of you Now, have you noticed that uh, there's a supreme lack of Bible preaching going on here? Yeah, there's a reason for that, is that this isn't really a biblical teaching. This is one of those therapy types of sermons. We've all heard the term from Christian Smith, moralistic, therapeutic deism. That's what this is. This is group therapy. This is not... Christian discipleship are actually thinking of some words that have been attached
3: to your life. Maybe you're still carrying them around with you, good or bad. Maybe they've, maybe they've inspired you to become who you are, or maybe they've put a, a, a barrier over you, keeping you from being able to move forward. Words, are incredibly powerful things.
0: Well, the Bible says that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Is that what you mean? The book of Proverbs. I think Sean has this scripture. First appearance of the Bible.
3: You put that up, Sean, Proverbs 18, verse 1. This is out of the message translation. It says, words kill. Uh,
0: Wait, wait, wait. The message isn't a translation, sir. Um, The message is a very, very bad, awful paraphrase. It's an abomination.
3: (sighs) Or words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Words kill Words give life. They're either poison or fruit.
0: I I think I should probably pull out my Bible here. Um, uh, Proverbs chapter 18, huh? Let's spend a little bit of time in Proverbs chapter 18, and let's take a look at that in context and see if it helps us a little bit. Although, you know, Proverbs is one of those books where, first and foremost, you're going to miss the whole point of it if you don't understand how to see Christ in it. Because Proverbs tells us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. What does it mean to fear God? What does that mean? Well, I think one good biblical way to define what it means to fear God, we're not to fear him like he's going to, you know, take us over his side and beat us with a belt. Or abuse us, or, you know, no, no, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a true sense of reverence and awe and a sense of fear in this sense. When we look at Jesus Christ and the sufferings that he endured on the cross, the scourging that he received at the hands of the soldiers uh, that opened up his back. Um, the you know him being so beaten so badly, he couldn't even carry his own cross. Simon the Cyrene had to help him carry the cross to Golgotha. Him being nailed into the cross, both his hands and his feet, and being lifted up with a crown of thorns pressed into his head, and the sufferings that he endured, including, including most importantly, when he cries out, "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani," my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? to be forsaken by God the Father, and for all of the wrath of God to be poured out on Jesus Christ shows us just how serious and gives us a glimpse at the measure of the consequences of our sin and what the wrath of God looks like. And then when we realize that that Jesus did that for us for the forgiveness of our sins, then you begin to get a grasp of what it means to fear God. So so true fear, fearing of God really amounts to being brought to that point where you repent. Repent of your sins, confess that God is in the right, you are in the wrong, there's true sorrow and contrition because of the horrible rebellion that you have done against God. And everything wicked that has flowed from that, that in that you are sinful by nature. And that you're sinful by nature, and that you have nothing to offer God. That you're a spiritual beggar. Being brought to that point, and then being brought to the forgiveness of your sins, and trusting in the goodness and mercy of God because of what He's done for us on the cross, for the forgiveness of our sins and trusting. That's what true fear and love of God is. So, you know, when we think of it that way, that's how we've got to think of these things. Anyway, let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 18. Now, he was reading from the message paraphrase. He called it translation. It's not. From, starting at verse 1, I'm going to read a large segment of chapter 18 in context from a good translation. I strongly recommend that if you're going to be doing any serious Bible study, that you have a good translation. Good translation. I, you know, a few years ago now, I made the switch over from the NIV to the ESV, and the reason I made the switch is because as somebody who knows the biblical languages, um, I I was always frustrated with uh, the NIV because I found myself constantly going, yeah, that's not what that passage really says in the Greek. A a better translation would be this, and I don't find myself doing that uh, with the ESV, it's a fantastic translation. And um, not only that, um, a good study Bible is worth its weight in gold. And um have got to tell you, I've taken a look at the ESV study Bible as well as the uh, the Lutheran study Bible. And don't let the word Lutheran uh, throw you. Um, the Lutheran study Bible, which uses the ESV, is by far the best study Bible I have ever. Ever, ever worked with, it is fantastic. Its notes are amazing. Some of the stuff that it 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 cross references with uh, stuff from the ancient church, great quotes, fantastic insights on the on the tougher passages, great good articles inside of it to help you understand biblical times and uh, and topics that are pertinent. We're helping you to properly, uh, you know, be able to uh, rightly divide God's Word. So um, just because it has the word Lutheran on it, even if you're not a Lutheran, it, it behooves you to uh, pick up a copy of the Lutheran Study Bible the uh, from Concordia Publishing House. Yeah, just—I I can't speak highly enough about it, you know, it's— <clears throat> anyway, uh yeah, Proverbs chapter eighteen: Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire; he breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Notice these are we're, sw- we're steering into the topic of words. But watch how words are used in this proverb. When wickedness comes, contempt also comes. And with dishonor comes disgrace. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. It is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of justice. And here we go. A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. <laughs> a fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels, and they go down into the inner parts of the body. Mm -hmm. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it, and he is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination, before destruction a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. If one gives an answer before he hears it is his folly and his shame. See you get what's going on here. I mean the and what the proverb what the book of proverbs is is I I like to think of the book of proverbs as a good practical book for understanding um third use of the law. How how is it that we apply God's teaching and and and, and so the rubber hits the road in our everyday life. And it's only applicable, only applicable for those who understand that they have a right standing before God, not because of any works of their own. But that they stand before God naked as wretched sinners, and God clothes them in the righteousness of Christ. So the beginning, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So this is a book that remains a locked book, and and a book you cannot properly understand until you first are brought to repentance and faith in Christ. And then and only then do you begin to see, you know, having been set free from bondage to sin, death, and the devil, how do you walk out now? This freedom that you have in Christ, freedom not freedom not to sin, but freedom from sin. How does that walk out? And Proverbs gives you some great, great, great insight as to how that's done. But again, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So here we've got um, uh, Pastor, <clears throat> Pastor Cooper quoting the message paraphrase regarding words and he's not really teaching the true wisdom of the book of proverbs here and and it's at this point i mean he's painting this picture that all of you know the, all of these people in humanity who who have been be who've been victimized victimized we're all victims of of people saying terrible things about us and they've become self-fulfilling prophecies and Like I said, this is not discipleship that we're hearing. This is therapy. You choose. So I want you to think today,
3: we're going to open the scriptures. We're going to look at a story of a man named Jacob. And uh, we're going to do something a little unique and different to close the service today. But I want you to think about the words that are wrapped up and intertwined with your life, who you are, for the good or the bad. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 25. I want to read you the story of a man named Jacob and his brother Esau. And if you don't have your Bible, they'll put it up on the screen for you. Starting in verse 19 of chapter 25, it says, This is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. You guys remember Father Abraham? And many sons, right arm, left arm, right. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's this guy. I wrote that song about him, all right? Just so you know. This is the account of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Got all that? All right, there'll be a test later. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. She was not able to have children. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. And the babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Now, I've never been pregnant with twins, but apparently that's why it's so difficult, okay? Two nations are in your womb. I mean, that's that's a big deal, all right? Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. And the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. (laughs) Beautiful, beautiful child. (laughs) So they named him Esau. And the name Esau actually means hairy. <laughs> in, in Jewish culture, they actually they, they would name you based on you know characteristics and things that were part of
0: the whole birth process. So God, I want to point something out here. Um, Esau wasn't made hairy by the fact that they named him Harry. He, he was hairy already before they named him Harry. And so when they named him Harry, it was reflective of the fact that that's what he already was.
1: So,
3: yeah, you understand what I'm saying here? Uh, he was called Esau, which meant Harry, or Edom, which meant Red, okay? So Red and hairy. His parents were <laughs> really creative people. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. And so he was named Jacob. And the name Jacob, and, and before, I, I, I know a number of Jacobs, okay? Uh, you're actually here in this room today, so I don't want you to take this personally, okay? Because if you, if you actually want to, because I did it, you can do some internet research on the name Jacob, and it's actually a much more beautiful story than the one I'm about to tell you, okay? So please don't be offended if your name is Jacob, okay? There's good news for you. We can talk after. But Jacob literally means one who grasps the heel. <laughs> Again, his parents were incredibly creative, or figuratively speaking, it was translated deceiver. So Esau comes out. He's red and hairy. They name him Esau. Jacob comes out grabbing onto his brother's heel. They name him Jacob, which translates heel grabber or deceiver. And if you go on to read the next few chapters of Jacob's life, he lived up to the words that were spoken. Over him,
0: it became inner. <clears throat> That's um, kind of um, reducing the story of Jacob by a lot, and, and mi- kind of missing the whole point. Um, keep in mind Jacob is a direct descendant of Jesus. And there's a lot going on there, intertwined with his very personality. He actually deceived his
3: father and his brother, and he stole his brother's. Birthright. You can read the whole story in the next few chapters to the point where he actually had to run away from the family because his brother, his hairy red brother, was going to kill him. <laughs> I would run away from my hairy red brother too. And the next few chapters outline the difficulties of Jacob's journey because he lived up to the words that were spoken over his life. If you turn to chapter 32, pick it up in verse 22. Jacob had uh, spent some extended time away from his family, uh, years and years. He had become uh, married and had built uh, a family for himself, and he was going to go back home, and he was very nervous about Encountering his hairy red brother once again,
0: and so that's where we're going to kind of pick up the story. He's on his way. Yeah, we've skipped all of the important major parts of the story, and we're just to the part that if you slice it apart, you can make it look like well, you know, the power of words. Yeah, way back, he's journeying home, and we'll pick that up in in
3: verse twenty two. It says that night Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two maid servants. And his eleven sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions.
0: Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it the job of the pastor to tell us the whole story of Jacob? And when you tell the whole story of Jacob, you know, the important doctrines, they just have a tendency to burble up right to the surface so you can see them, you know? And so Jacob was left alone.
3: And a man wrestled with him until. Daybreak. Scholars translated this to be either an angel of God or, or, or God himself came and wrestled with Jacob. Man, that's like some serious WWF right there.
0: Yeah, I don't think so. It says, when
3: the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. I'm the heel grabber. I'm the deceiver. That's the way I've lived my entire life. That's not in the scripture. I'm adding that. You're all looking at the screen like, Yeah, I think he's it's going.
0: This is, I, like I said, this doesn't do the story of Jacob any justice at all. Yeah, because uh, y- y- you can sit there and talk about. Yes, uh, Esau despised his birthright and yes, Jacob deceived his father in order to get his father's uh you know to get Esau's blessing. That's all an important part of the story. But the, also there's the story of how Jacob was deceived and mistreated by Uncle Laban. <sighs> Cuz here's the deal. Jacob like Laban like you, like me. Our problem is not that people haven't spoken affirming words over us. Our problem is that we are born descendants in Adam. And Adam, because of his rebellion against God and disobedience, has caused all of humanity to fall. And every single one of us is not good by nature. We're not good at all. We're Sinful and fallen by nature. We're rebels against God by nature. Yeah, and simply, uh, simple affirming words and simple affirmations are not going to solve our real problem. And the story of Jacob is really not about affirmations or bad words. Going off course.
3: Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And the name Israel means one who struggles with God, one who wrestles with God. And in that transition of his name from Jacob deceiver to Israel, he became a nation. And the words that were attached to his life, they began to unravel. And God began to give him new words, a new identity.
0: Yes, God did give him a new identity, but again, the way you're telling the story, like, misses the whole point. So,
3: back to words with friends. The game, yeah, okay. When you all came in today, I think you were given a a little Scrabble piece. You want to pull that out. See, there's an amazing thing I notice when, when I play Words with Friends over the last three days.
0: Nonstop. <laughs> like a bad addiction. Okay, now listen carefully to what he's going to do next. He, Like he said, he's handled out little Scrabble tiles to everybody there at the church. So everybody has got a Scrabble tile that they're holding on to that was given to them. And um, what we're going to hear is some kind of a pseudo-religious ceremony, if you would, that uses these tiles. I'm going to comment on this a little further, but I want you to hear some more. I
3: I was telling somebody the other day, though, I mean, you know, a lot of addictions, they they cause you to slur your speech and become an idiot. At least this one's... Theoretically making me smarter, right? (laughs) But see, when 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 you're playing words with friends, you you know you get all the letters on the board, and then you get like seven letters across the bottom, you know, just randomly pulled out of the hat. They look like this. And and it's funny, the thing I've noticed as I'm playing words with friends is that sometimes I have to reshuffle those letters because you know, like the, just the way they're randomly laid out, you can begin to see different words in them. And sometimes you kind of you kind of run down that path for a while, and you chase that for a little while, and and uh, uh, you know, you kind of run up against a, a dead end. So sometimes, like like you can you can shuffle the words, or like on my phone, if you just shake it, it it reshuffles the seven letters at the bottom. And sometimes just reshuffling the letters can completely open your mind to some word that you hadn't thought of. And I think some of us are dealing with that kind of issue today. It's like there's been words spoken over your life, maybe from an abusive parent or you know, a husband or wife, you know, a teacher, someone in authority over you.
0: Now, notice that this doesn't really give any kind of a satisfactory or even satisfying teaching regarding the nature of evil, okay? So if you've been in an abusive relationship, whether you've had abusive parents, an abusive spouse, uh, abusive brother, other members of your family, and have really suffered at their hands, I mean truly, truly suffered, true abuse at their hands, simply speaking, affirmations over your life doesn't answer the question where did all of that evil come from? And worse, because here's the deal no one that I know, not one person, is a true, pure victim. The real interesting thing about abuse and its cycles is that the abuser oftentimes, many times, the majority of times, turns around and ends up becoming the person they hate. They become the person that abused them, and they pass that along. And so the evil that they've experienced at somebody else's hands, they've turned around and dished that out themselves. So then the question comes up is, I mean, is this really the solution? Is this the cure for that kind of evil and wickedness and wretchedness? I mean, I mean, seriously. I mean, this sounds to me like take you know somebody saying, you know, take a a, an eight ounce glass of apple juice, Uh, you know, it'll cure your cancer. It's like what? You know, I mean, cancer isn't curable by an eight-ounce glass of apple juice. What are you talking about? That, I mean, this is what this sounds like to me. Someone who is,
3: has spoken death over you. And, and I know well enough that sometimes those experiences, those words, they, they tangle themselves around our lives. And, and then when we look at those seven letters across the bottom of our screen, the only thing we can put together are those ugly, awful words that bring pain and shame and heartache. I'm going to tell you a story why I asked Brian and, and Blaze to come back down. And we're going we're gonna to close it with something that I hope will breathe some new life into you today. But- so
0: this is going to be a ceremony, a religious ceremony that he hopes will breathe new life into them. Okay, but
3: a number of years ago, I was uh, I was connected to a, a ministry that I'd been a part of for a while, and I was doing music, and uh, it was uh, it was uh, something I was really proud to be a part of, and uh, I decided that it was time to move on, and my last day as as a part of that ministry one of the women cue sappy music that was in charge caught my eye and, and she looked at me and she called me a traitor.
0: Well, my question is, were you or not? Cause there, traitor is a word that has a meaning. And sometimes there are real traitors. Were you falsely accused of being a traitor? And, uh, I didn't realize in that moment
3: how that word had sunk into my spirit, and how its tentacles had began to wrap themselves around the essence of who I was.
0: Uh, see, apparently, the essence of who he is—he's a good person by nature. But you see, the word "traitor" is 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 like an evil, evil octopus monster, black and dark and hard and. He, a good and virtuous person by nature, this word traitor, came and wrapped its tentacles around him and drug him under the water and was holding him there to kill and destroy. It. Yeah, that's not, no, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Um, No, it says that we're all by nature sinners, but we're not hearing anything about that, are we? We're hearing a lot of therapy. We're hearing a lot of, we're all good people and victimized by words.
3: And how I began to believe what she had said to me. And it was funny because I I think sometimes we're really good at our self-protections. We kind of throw them over our lives and we we kind of numb the pain of words like that. And for for two years, I'd kind of shoved that aside and then... In conversation with someone one day, I remembered that story, and as I began to tell it, it was like the freshness of the, of the wound just opened back up. And I realized that I actually believed that I was a traitor. <laughs> Those words, had they had become a part of my essence.
0: Either you were a traitor or you weren't. Which is it? And I guarantee you,
3: some of you, you look at this letter that we passed out to you today and you, you formulate words around that letter just like I do when I'm playing words with friends. And for some of you, those words, they're, they're full of hate, vitriol, and wounding. And so I, I want us to do something in closing today. And I hope this isn't <laughs> cheesy.
0: Oh, I guarantee it is. But but I want us to to get rid of some of these words. So this is going to be a, a religious ceremony, complete with Holy Spirit uh, sappy music. Yeah, because listen, you can always tell the Holy Spirit's in the building when you got sappy music playing behind the pastor. Um So, yeah, this is going to just be ridiculous.
3: I think God wants to set us free of some of these words today.
0: Mm, So that's God's big mission, to set us free from words. Okay.
3: So I'm just going to have him turn the the house lights down.
0: I know, we're in in a room here with quite a few people. Uh, So a religious ceremony, sappy music, Scrabble tiles... And house lights dimmed. I mean, truly, the Holy Spirit has to be there now, right? But
3: what I want to do is I I want to to throw some words up on a screen. (laughs) And I want to throw some words out there that maybe you've associated with yourself. Words that ring with pain and heartache and condemnation. And then I want to read you some scripture. Scripture. That tells you what God actually thinks of you. And we're going to try to reshuffle these letters this morning. So for me, I start with the letter O. And I see the word traitor. Well, let me tell you what God says in Galatians 4, 4. He says, but when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his son, born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law,
0: so that he might redeem those of us who have been kidnapped by the law. Okay, now notice, he's reading from one of the most important books of the Bible, that that epistle to the Galatians. And he's reading a gospel passage. Okay? But notice that the text that he's quoting discusses the law versus the gospel and how there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, things of that nature. But so we're hearing a gospel passage, but this entire sermon has been missing. The issue of sin and God's law and repentance and the forgiveness of sins. As a result of it, this is a therapy session among a bunch of people who feel like they've been victimized by those all-powerful bad words. And so the function that these gospel passages is, are playing, the, the, the function these passages are playing in this sermon, is this. Because I'm good enough... I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Yeah, that, that's the role that they're playing. So we, these verses are being now, these gospel passages are being taken out of context, and they don't make any sense whatsoever because they're just being used as affirmations. And that's not the function of these passages at all thus we have been set free to experience our rightful heritage,
3: you can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own children, because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives, crying out, Papa, Father. And doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you are not a slave, but a child? And if you are a child, you are also an heir with complete access to the inheritance. See, we need to reshuffle the letters because when you see an O, don't fill in the word traitor. Fill in the word son. You are a son of God. A child fully adopted by your creator and your
0: heavenly father. Like I said, this is all just, well, affirmations.
1: Daily Affirmation with Stuart Smalley. Stuart Smalley is a caring
0: nurturer, a member of several 12-step programs, but not
4: a licensed therapist.
0: I'm going to do a terrific show today, and I'm going to help people because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me.
2: Hello, Michael. Hello, Michael.
0: That's Michael Jordan.
2: I don't have to be a great basketball player. I don't have to be a great basketball player. I don't have to dribble the ball fast or throw the ball into the basket. I don't have to dribble the ball fast or throw the ball in the basket. Because... All I have to do is be the best Michael I can be. All I have to do is be the best Michael I can be. Because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me.
0: Uh, Michael Jordan's having a hard time with these affirmations. Apparently he's a victim of stinking thinking.
1: Because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. There you
0: go. So that's uh, that's what, the, this is what the gospel has de- been reduced to in this sermon. Just uh, affirming words. Maybe some of you
3: look at your letter and you see it's the letter L. And the only thing you've ever seen associated with the letter L, it just screams at you, loser. You know, you see the... Big giant L on your forehead. Maybe that word was spoken over you. Maybe it got into your spirit. Maybe it maybe it entwined itself around your life, and maybe you've been living up to that word. Let me tell you what God says in Romans 5, 6 through 8. He said Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready.
0: Uh, Another great gospel passage horribly mangled by the message paraphrase. But again, this is a gospel passage being used as a Stuart Smalley affirmation. And even if we
3: hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. We can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatsoever to him. So you need to realize when you you see the letter L, instead of filling it in with... Loser. Let's reshuffle the letters and realize that we are loved. You are loved by God.
0: And you know what? You're not worthy of it. This is almost as bad as a Carrie Shook sermon. We're we're approaching that level of estrogen. You didn't earn it.
3: You are loved by God. Maybe some of you have the letter W and you see when you shuffle the words in your own mind, you see the word weak. Maybe that's all you've ever known yourself as. I'm, I'm weak. Maybe the world just overwhelms and overcomes you on a daily basis. And you live in that kind of fear and insecurity. Well, let me tell you what God says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. It says, but he said to me, my grace When you see the letter W, maybe you need to reshuffle those words and say, you know what? I'm not weak. I'm empowered.
0: Because in my weakness. Now, I'm going to point something out here. Um, This particular religious ceremony um, is apparently supposed to be the thing that's going to set people free to a new life. Yet this is not a ceremony sanctioned in God's word at all. This is not what God's word tells us to do, and uh this has become the mystical therapeutical uh you know equivalent of something similar to the Lord's Supper at this point. I mean there they've got a tile a you know wafer sized tile in their hands, and this is a spiritual moment right um i would much rather much rather. Much rather, take communion, and um, you know hear the pastor say, "Take, eat, the body of Christ broken for you for the forgiveness of your sins, take, drink, this is the new, the blood of New Testament shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins I, that that actually has real power in it. Why? Because it's been sanctioned by God, and there are promises associated with that. There's no promises in the Scripture that if you go grab a Scrabble tile and, and read the gospel passages out of context as therapeutic affirmations that they have the power to do anything in your life. This is a complete misuse of God's Word, and this isn't even a sanctioned biblical ceremony. The strength of my God comes alive. Maybe you got
3: the letter E. And when you see the letter E you just fill in the rest of the words around it to say less than. Maybe you've always thought of yourself as less than. Maybe one of your siblings was always better than you at everything, you know? I Maybe mean, the place you work, you know you just never feel like you quite measure up and you kind of carry the word less than around with you. It's, inner, it's entwined itself around your life. Let me read you a scripture, what God thinks of you.
0: Romans eight thirty five through 39 says... No. notice what he's doing here also, you know, re- reading these gospel passages as Stuart Smalley-esque kind of affirmations. Um, he's universally applying them and what i mean there is is that there's some stuff in some of these passages he's quoting that only apply to those who are brought to repentance and faith in christ for the forgiveness of their sins cuz jesus christ and you know the well the gospel of john makes it clear that anyone who believes in christ is a new creation they're forgiven but whoever refuses to believe they remain under the wrath of god so uh god does not have these affirmation type thoughts Towards uh, those who persist uh, unre- in, in, in unrepentance and unbelief, um, the wrath of God remains on them, and they, they're liable to the judgment of God, which is not a good thing. That's, that's, you know, that's where you end up going to hell. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, a lot of good these affirmations are going to do, do you uh, if you, you find yourself in hell the next day after a car accident
3: Nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God.
0: I'm persuaded that you don't know your Bible, sir, and that you don't even know what the real problem is that Christ solves on the cross.
3: Which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So maybe it's time to reshuffle the words. Instead of saying less than, you need to realize you are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. Got a few more here. Maybe you got the letter D in your hand there today. Maybe as you shuffle those words around on your little Words with Friends tiles, maybe all you see is the word unwanted. Psalm 139, 14 through 18 says, Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. See, maybe maybe the words that have been spoken over you for your entire life is that you were never really wanted. But I want you to know that you you can reshuffle these words because, see, what God says about you is that you are deeply desired. Maybe you have the letter N. (laughs) And maybe the only words you can see when you see the letter N is the word condemned. I have people tell me all the time, you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea who I am. I want you to know what God says about you. In Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, it says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving
0: spirit has freed you. Yet yeah, no no explanation of how it is that somebody goes from death to life. There's no. This is not preaching of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And the gospel is completely powerless because there is no... It, it, Jesus says when he would send the Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit would convict the world of sin and unbelief. None of that's going on here. All we're getting is just sappy, sappy, really bad therapy.
3: From the power of sin that leads to death. And then a very famous verse that many of you will know. John three sixteen and 17 says, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge or condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, some of you need to reshuffle the letters of condemned. You need to reshuffle them on your board. You need to realize that through Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven.
0: Yes. What does it mean to be forgiven? Why do I need to be forgiven? What have I done wrong that I need to be forgiven of? One
3: more here. Maybe some of you see the letter T. And the way those letters shuffle around, all you see is the word mistake. You are a mistake. All you do is make mistakes. Maybe that word has attached itself and intertwined itself to your life and you can't shake it. Well, I want to tell you what God says about you. In Zephaniah 317 it says the Lord your God in the midst, the mighty one, he will save he will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you with his love he will rejoice over you with singing did you know that your life is the inspiration for the lyrics that the creator of the universe sings over you. So I want you to just close your eyes for a minute today. As we close, I just want you to, to think about the words that you have allowed to
0: intertwine with your essence, with your being. There isn't a single passage of the Bible that talks about, well, at least he's quoted, that talks about you've let words intertwine themselves and mess with the essence of your being. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us by nature what our essence and being is. Ephesians chapter 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. Falling, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You you see, Romans chapter 3 says there's none righteous, no, not one. No one seeks God. All together have become worthless. Their mouths are open graves. There's none righteous. I mean, he makes it sound like we're all bright, shining stars of heaven, and along come these evil words, and they wrap themselves around your essence and drag you into darkness. Nothing could be further from the truth. Words that were spoken over you,
3: that maybe have placed a a burden on your life that you didn't even realize you were still carrying. I want you to know that that's not the way your God thinks of you.
0: God is the big Stuart Smalley in the sky. All he wants to do is give you a mirror and have you look in it and go, love yourself the way that I love you. Just say that you're good enough and smart enough and doggone it. People like you just say it. You can do it.
3: You need to let him reshuffle the letters today. You need to shake the iPhone. You need to see something different.
0: I just want to pray for you this morning. No, done. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know which god you actually pray to, so I, you know, I, I mm, yeah, I'm just a little queasy there, the idea of you praying for me. You see what I'm saying? I mean, talk about. I mean, it, it's a weird category, but the category exists. Bad quote gospel sermon. You heard the gospel. He read the text where the gospel is proclaimed, but because he didn't. Pro, he he doesn't. I don't think this guy believes that he, uh, human beings are sinful by nature. I don't think he believes that at all. Because he doesn't believe that, he doesn't know how to uh, how the gospel works, what it's supposed to be used for. I mean, this. I mean, pardon the, the 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 metaphor here, but this is like a guy who was raised on a desert island who's never had contact with cars, with tools, with, you know, technology or whatever. And, uh, you know, and, you know, you give him a, a, you know, a laptop computer and he tries to use it as a hammer. He doesn't have any idea what the laptop computer is for. He's never seen one. Same way. This guy does not know how to, what to do with the gospel. And so, I mean, so because he doesn't believe, he doesn't believe that we're sinful by nature. He has no concept of what to do here with the gospel. He doesn't know how to apply it, how it works, what it's for. And so he just, you know, in his, you know, using innovation and creativity, he's invented a new use for it. This is the Stuart Smalley use of the gospel, the Stuart Smalley theory of the atonement. And it doesn't work. In order for you to understand the gospel, you have to understand what the law does. The purpose of the law is to show you that you are sinful by nature. It's not that you just make a few boo-boos here and there. Yeah, Jesus Christ didn't come to save the well. He came to save the sick. He came to save sinners. If you're not a sinner, Jesus really doesn't have anything to offer you. Nothing, whatever. Righteous people don't need Jesus at all. Righteous people don't need Jesus. Because what Jesus offers is himself and his righteousness to cover ours. He offers himself to be punished in our place for the sins and wickedness that we've committed. Yeah, so if you're a basically good person, yeah, I'm sorry, but... You don't need the gospel. You need—I don't know what you need, but um, maybe um, swift kick in the groin to wake you up because you're not righteous. You're not good. You're evil. You need to wake up. You're like the Walking Dead. You have eyes, but you do not see. You have ears, but you do not hear. Anyway. That's all I have to say. Need to remind you all: fighting for the faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring fighting for the faith to you. If you're not already a member of our crew, we, you know, I, I you need to remedy that. We need your help. We, you know, in order for us to meet our budget this year, in order for us to meet our budget, we have got to grow our uh, our crew members by about 350 and uh if you're not already a member of our crew then th- it's time for you to become a member of our crew and uh, trust me there are great reasons for doing it number one yeah you continue to get this great program but number two we are in the pro- you know we continue we're going to be continuing to publish great great works for you to grow in in the christian faith in your under- good stuff like the pu- the book we've just published uh, you know, the sufferings of Jesus Christ for sinners. Uh, again, you, you're going to want to get this. And so if if you, uh, you know, join our crew and we will send you the link so that you can, gra- you can get a copy of that book. But uh, the way you do it, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount, You would like to contribute? You can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, so what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me, do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Bring it as to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate christian or you can follow me on twitter my name there pirate christian till tomorrow may god richly bless you in the grace and the mercy won by jesus christ in his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins amen